Hello everyone and welcome back to the Faith Podcast. We're going to start off today as we normally do with a prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for the day which you've given me today. The opportunities and the blessings that you have um, provided me. I ask you to please give me the gifts of a discernment and wisdom that I may better understand your word and your will and may live a better right, a better life, sorry, and a more righteous life. And I ask you to please give these gifts as well to anyone who happens to be listening today. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So this is probably going to annoy some people, especially Catholics and maybe Orthodoxes. I'm not sure what they believe on it. Um, so some of you will know that I've recently been going through and studying um, The Divine Comedy by Dante. Uh, the Divine Comedy is made up of three parts. That's Inferno, being Hell, Purgatorio, being Purgatory, and Paradiso, which is Heaven. And that kind of put my mind on the topic of Purgatory. So today I'm going to have a look and see if there is any Biblical evidence to support the idea of purgatory. First we must look and ask, what is purgatory? Well, the idea of purgatory as a physical place comes from around the 12th century. However, the idea of purga a purgatory-like place has existed since actually before the, uh, the time of Jesus himself. The idea of purgatory is kind of simple. It's basically a place that you go after you die, where you can be cleansed of your sins. And there we see one of the biggest issues with the idea of purgatory. If we turn to the Gospel according to St. Luke, chapter 19, verse 30, we read, When Jesus therefore had received the vinegar, he says, It is finished, and he bowed his head and gave up the ghost. Jesus says, It is finished. The work is done. You don't need to purify yourself. Don't believe me? Turn to the book of Ephesians, chapter 2, verses 8 through 9. For by grace are you saved through faith, and not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. You are saved by faith. That's it. There's no work you can do in this life or in the next that can cleanse you of your sins. The only thing that washes away the filth of sin is the precious blood of Jesus Christ. If you could cleanse yourself of your own sins, Jesus' sacrifice would mean nothing. It would be pointless. He wouldn't have done it. Like I said before, the idea of purgatory predates Jesus, which makes sense. You see, in the times before Jesus... Uh, before his sacrifice, it was actually up to the Jewish people to wash away their sins themselves. If you go to the book of Leviticus, chapter 23, verses 18 through to 20, it says, And he shall offer with the bread seven lambs without blemish of the first year, and one young bullock, and two rams. They shall be for a burnt offering unto the Lord, with their meat offering and their drink offering, even as offering made by fire of sweet savour unto the Lord. Then you shall sacrifice one kid of the goats for a sin offering, and two lambs of the first year for a sacrifice of peace offering. And the priest shall wave them with the bread of the first fruits for a wave offering before the Lord with two lamb, the two lambs. They shall be holy to the Lord for the priests. As this verse tells us, the Jewish people had to make sacrifices to God to wash away their sins. They had to make sin offerings. These sacrifices usually came in the form of an unblemished lamb. But that all changed when Christ died. You see, when Christ died on the cross, he became the lamb. And it's, it's important that, that thing of a, an unblemished lamb, that it's not a dirty lamb, it's not unclean, it's completely pure and perfect, really. It's the same as Jesus. Jesus never sinned. He was unblemished. He was the lamb. He was that unblemished lamb, as Leviticus tells us. And he gave himself up for us. So that we'd never have to sacrifice again and it wouldn't be up to us anymore. Now we go to the Gospel according to Luke chapter 23 verses, uh, uh, verse 43. 
And Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto thee, the, Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. So Jesus says that on that day, the two of them would be together in paradise, that being heaven. Now, who is he speaking to? Well, a criminal. And he says it to this criminal for merely remembering to be asked. Because Jesus could see that the man had faith in him and believed that he was the son of the living God. If you don't like go to the verse and you'll see all the like all that he says is remember me when you come into your kingdom. That's it. Now this might seem to suggest an instant judgment, that being the second you die you are judged. However, I don't think that it is. If we go to First Corinthians fifteen, um, verses uh, twenty four to twenty eight, we see that it says, "Then cometh the end when uh, he shall have delivered up the kingdom to God, even the Father, when we shall have put down all rule and all authority and all power." For he must reign till he that put all enemies under his feet, the last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. For he hath put all things under his feet. But when he saith all things are, are put under him, it is manifested that he is expected, which did put all things under him. And when all things shall be subdued unto him, then shall the Son also himself be subject unto him that put all things under him that God may be all in all. So the Bible seems to clearly be suggesting that there is a specific day during which everyone will be judged. So is that a contradiction? Well, no, of course not. But then how can these two verses coexist? Well, let's look at the two from two separate points of view. First, we'll look at it from an external point of view. That is, we look at it as someone outside looking in on it. What we see is the person dies, then nothing much happens for a bit, then they are judged. Now, let's look, and basically that just means um, they're dead and it's like a, a sleep-like death, basically. Now, let's look at it from an internal point of view, that is to say, from for the person yourself, so that themselves. You're going about your day when suddenly you're in the throne room of God. What you might not realise is... Um, at first anyway, is that you died a fair bit of time ago and have been lying dead ever since. So to you it would seem that you had basically died and woken up in the throne room in the same day. However, if you were to interject, um, if you interject some other plane in there, some other realm, this goes completely out the window and you are forced to come to the conclusion that 1 Corinthians 15, uh, 24 to 28 is in direct contradiction with Luke 23, 43. Because it suggests that instead of waking up in the throne room of God for Judgment Day, you go to Purgatory or something like that first. Rather than that same day, as it were, at least from your perspective, being in Heaven. If you still believe in Purgatory, let me ask you this. Why isn't the Bible clearer about it? Now, in the King James Version of the Bible, which I'm only bringing up because it's the version of the Bible that I happen to own, the word Hell appears 54 times. 31 in the Old Testament and 23 in the New. And the word heaven appears 327 times in the Old Testament and 225 in the New. And just so we're clear, this isn't talking about all the times these two places are mentioned. This is every time the specific words are used. So verses like, uh, let's say, Revelation chapter 20, verse 10, which says, And the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone, where the beast and the false prophet are, and shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. They're not included in that number, because they never specifically use the word hell. So hell is very clearly in the Bible. And also there's words like Gehenna and so on that are used for it in different verses. 
Now, I will concede on the point of heaven that um, sometimes the word heaven can be used to talk about the sky or so on, or like God created you know, the heavens, he created the sky, or there's something going on up in the heavens, the characters usually mean the sky, or not usually, but sometimes. But even um, considering that, the Bible is still very clear on the absolute and undeniable existence of a place called heaven where the saved to go after they die. And it is also very clear about the undeniable existence of a place called hell, um, hell where the unsaved go when they die. However, the word purgatory is never used in the Bible. Now, I will say this, just because a word isn't in the Bible, doesn't mean the concept isn't biblical. For example, the word Trinity is never used in the Bible, and yet despite this, we know that the concept of the Trinity is biblical. If we go to um, John's Gospel, chapter 1, verse 1, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then in the same book, in chapter 10, verse 30, it says, I and my Father are one. These two verses very clearly show us that Jesus is God. He's one with God. He is the Word. The Word is God. The Word became flesh. The flesh is God. Jesus is the flesh. Jesus is God. Now sure, they might not say in the most plain, direct, ultra-literal language that can be absolutely no room for interpretation. It does not directly use the word, the three words, Jesus is God. You know, it doesn't say that in the most absolute, undeniable, no matter what you say. That's definitely what it means, way. But even despite that, the message is still very clear. It's very clear that that's what the message is, even if it's not written down in the most plain English possible. That's very clearly still what it means. So, let's um, look at some of the verses that, and this is according to Google, by the way, so this isn't like based on arguments I've actually had. This is just what Google says. People use to defend the idea of purgatory. So first is First Timothy chapter 1 verse 18, which says, This charge I um, commit unto thee, son Timothy, according to the prophecies which went before on thee, that thou by them mightest war a good warfare. This seems to be nothing more than Paul encouraging Timothy to keep up fighting, like a spiritual fight, and stay strong during the spiritual warfare, which is something we're encouraged to do in many places in the Bible. Next is the Gospel according to Matthew, verse um, 12, chapter 32, which says, And whosoever speaketh a word against the Son of Man, it shall be forgiven uh, him. But whosoever speaketh against the Holy Spirit, it shall not be forgiven him. Neither in this world, neither in the world to come. This verse is a, a very simply about one unforgivable sin, which is a blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. I don't see how it can be used to justify a belief in purgatory. In fact, it kind of almost clearly against it because it's talking about something that cannot be forgiven so i mean like the like the whole the, the sin that's the you know even if purgatory was real this couldn't justify it because the sin in the center of it couldn't be cleansed away even by purgatory because it cannot be forgiven in this world or in the next okay so next is luke's gospel chapter 16 verses 19 to 26 which say there was a certain rich man which was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared uh, sumptuously every day and there was a certain beggar named lazarus which was laid at his gate full of sores and desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the man's table moreover the dogs came and licked his sores and it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angel into abraham's bosom the rich man also died and was buried and he and in hell he uh, lift up his eyes, being in torments, and see it, 
Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, remember that thou in thy lifetime receivest thy good things, and likewise Lazarus evil things. But now he is confronted, and thou art tormented, and beside all things between us and you there is a great gulf fixed, so that they which would pass from hence um, to you cannot, neither can they pass to us. That would come from thence. And this is rather ironic. You see, the story is one that Jesus used to preach about heaven and hell. It would have been a brilliant time for him to bring up purgatory, but as I'm sure you can tell after listening to it, it just doesn't. In fact, it, sim it specifically mentions hell by name, um, saying that the rich man is there because of the life he lived. So what this story is actually saying is that a sinful life away from God will lead you straight to hell, and a not so sinful life that you don't spend away from God will lead you up to heaven. And if you're trying to say, maybe make the argument that one of the places, either Abraham's bosom or the place that Lazarus goes, aren't in fact heaven or hell, but either a purgatory, that also doesn't make sense because from purgatory, you're meant to be able to cleanse yourself and go straight to heaven. And the verse makes very clear, you can't go from one of these places unto the other. So if one of those places is purgatory, then you're stuck there. Staying in Luke, if we go to chapter 23, verse 43, we see that it says, And Jesus said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Thou shalt be with me in paradise. Today, sorry, thou shalt be with me in paradise. Um, you might remember this verse as being one of the ones I used against purgatory and again, pretty self-explanatory. Next, we go to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 11 to 15, which says, For other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is uh, Jesus Christ. Now, if any man build upon this foundation gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble, every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day shall be declared it, uh, shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire, and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. If any man's work abide, which he hath built there um, upon, he shall receive a reward. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. This verse is simply claiming that Jesus is the ultimate foundation for faith and truth. It says nothing about a place after death where people can go to cleanse themselves of their sins. Now we go to Hebrews um, chapter 12, verse 29, which says, For our God is a consuming fire. That's it. That's the entire verse. I literally, I put, according to Google, fair enough, Wikipedia, I know, I know. But according to Wikipedia, this is one of the verses that's somehow used to defend purgatory. I don't understand. That's, that's a verse about the characteristic of God. That's nothing to do, like, I don't know. So like I said before, this is all from Wikipedia. It's not from genuine arguments I've had or conversations I've had with Catholics. So perhaps there are better verses that do a far better job. Um, at defending the idea of purgatory than these but for the most part the majority of verses uh, seem to either not mention purgatory like Hebrews twelve twenty nine, or preach something contradictory to the doctrine like Luke um, 16 19 26 so given everything that I have just said surely that means that I believe there is no purgatory right that there's absolutely no basis in, Hitler, in, um, in the bible for it right in history for it or anything like that, right? Well, it's a bit more complicated than that, um, but not so much more. You see, in the Old Testament, there's a sort of purgatory-like area. 
Some translations don't give this place an actual name, they just refer to it as something like the grave in some places in the King James Version, the version I read, it's often referred to as the grave, while others um, call it Sheol, and then so it's kind of become known as Sheol. I believe that this place is where the idea of purgatory comes from. I believe that this is where the souls of the lost, of those people sorry, who died before Jesus' sacrifice, go, um, or when, sorry, basically before Jesus died, is what I'm trying to say, that before he died, when people before him died, they went to this place called Sheol. However, I believe that now that Jesus has died for our sins, this place is no longer in use. I think that now you just go to heaven or hell. But what about all the people who were in there? Well, I'm not too sure. Either they will stay there until Judgment Day, which I don't really believe, or they already went to either heaven or hell, uh, depending on the person when Jesus died. Um, this actually might go a way to explain the, um, uh, the thief on the cross. Jesus says, this day you will be with me in paradise. Maybe that thief was one of the final people who died. He went to Sheol for a bit, and then when Jesus... I don't know when Jesus died. He went up to Sheol. He went up to heaven from Sheol with all the rest of them. That's just an idea. I'm not saying that that's definitely doc like sound doctrine. That's definitely true. It's just something to think about. In either case, if you die today, you will um wake up in the throne room of God and you will face your judgment. Once you die, that's it. You don't you don't get to go through some process to cleanse yourself of all the sins that you think Jesus' blood wasn't able to wash away. You have your chance in life. You have generally speaking about 80 years to find you know to have faith in God that you know it's not an incredibly long time in the grand scheme of things but it's long enough when you're in the moment one last thing I want to talk about in terms of purgatory is this is a belief in purgatory a salvation level issue well what is a salvation level issue some people might say that anything that differs slightly from the Bible is a salvation level issue but then we look at Judas, son of James, or at least that's what he's called in um, Luke's Gospel, chapter 6, verse 16. Judas, son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. This is listing out all of the, um, basically, the, the, the apostles. Or is he Judas, son of James? Maybe he's Thaddeus, like in Mark 3.18. And Andrew, and Philip, and Bartholomew, and Matthew, and Thomas, and James, the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus, and Simon the Canaanite. Well, the answer is both. He's, he's Judas, son of James, and he is Thaddeus. But why? Well, there's two possible explanations. One is that people being known by different names was actually common. For example, Matthew was sometimes referred to as Levi. Or it could just be that he didn't want to be known as Judas after Judas Iscariot had betrayed him. And so Thaddeus was like a nickname that he had that he'd ask people to start calling him by, or maybe it was like a surname or something like that, that he wasn't really known by until the gospel started being written. And then he was like, you know, call me Thaddeus, not Judas. But, but here's the thing. If every issue in the Bible is a salvation level issue, every single one of them, then so is this. But obviously it's not. God's not going to deny you into heaven because you don't know why this particular Judas decided he wanted to start being known as Thaddeus. So a line has been drawn somewhere. You have to get everything right so you don't. There is a line somewhere. On one side of the line, you have the issues that are not detrimental to your salvation. On the other side, you have the issues that are. But how do we know where this line is drawn? I don't think we 
fully know where it's drawn. Personally, I think we can get a good idea of where the line is drawn. And basically, I think it's drawn at things that go against the power or the deity or the works or basically any of the good things attributed to God, um, the Father, Jesus or the Holy Spirit. So if you believe, for example, that Jesus wasn't God, that takes away his deity, that takes away his power. And therefore, you know, I think it's salvation level. Also, if you believe in purgatory and that belief in purgatory makes you think that the sacrifice on the cross wasn't sufficient, that means you were taking something away from Christ. You were saying he wasn't able to do something. You were taking away that work, that power, and you were pushing it onto yourself and your own ability. And then I think that does damage your salvation because you're taking something from Christ and giving it to yourself. You're taking away that power. You're taking away that thing, that characteristic, that work. But if somehow you manage to believe in purgatory, but you don't believe that Christ's sacrifice wasn't enough, I'm not sure how you could reconcile those two things together, by the way, because it seems like they are a direct contradiction. But if somehow you manage to believe both in purgatory, but also that Christ's sacrifice was enough, then I don't think that would be detrimental to your salvation. So I prayed the prayer for the sermon um, at the start of this sermon. I'm going to do the same again. Heavenly Father, I ask you to please guide me and those listening towards you and your light and your truth. I ask you to please help us understand that truth, Lord. Help us to get it right, Lord, because there's so much that we get wrong. Help us to know the truth. Help us to be correct and help us to spread your truth, Lord. Not that we might be right, but that we, but rather that we might properly represent you lord it's not about us it's about you and we want to spread your truth and your love and your wisdom and your works and your word lord so please help us with that and help us ensure we're doing so correctly and help us ensure that we are spreading correct doctrine and not leading anyone astray help everyone with this lord from the protestant to the catholic to the orthodox sorry about that help us lord with this in jesus name i pray amen so sorry about that little buzz there. That was my exercise watch. If I'm in the long, if I'm in the same place for too long, it uh, tells me to move. So it's <laughs> unfortunate to happen to interrupt the prayer, but sure. Ah well. Anyway, thank you guys for um listening to this. I hope it was insightful. Like I said, I didn't go through every single verse in this that talks about purgatory or that tries to defend it, but I think I went through enough. Um, so yeah, hopefully I do hope this was like I say insightful. I do hope it was helpful. Helpful, but. We all know I'm not good at rambling on and going off on unscripted rants and it usually just sounds deranged and unhinged. So I'm going to leave it there. So thank you all for listening and God bless.